0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Cast Dice, the podcast that explores the great big wild world of tabletop gaming that exists today. It has been said once or twice, mainly on this podcast, that we are in the middle of a gaming renaissance. There are just too many good games out there that we can spend our hobby time and our hobby dollars on. It can lead to a serious case of not knowing what to play next. And I guess that's the purpose of this podcast. It's to explore uh, the games that my guests and I have been enjoying playing, uh, industry events that have been happening, and talking to the people that make these games. Now, I said those words or something to that effect 100 episodes ago, and uh, I think I've been saying something along those lines ever since. Now, I have been on a lot of podcasts over the years, but I've never been on one that's reached 100 episodes, and it... Is weird. So to help me christen in uh, the this this landmark moment for Cast Dice, I had to bring the man who I had on the first episode of this podcast, and the first episode of the LRDG two, which was my last podcast, and the first episode of the LRDG one, and the first ever episode of the Dwellers Below, which was the first ever podcast I was on. Damn. I, you know, if there's a one at the front, I got to have the man, the myth, the legend, my brother from another mother, Dave of War. Welcome back to Cast Dice.
1: Oh, it's a delight to be here, old man, Moran. It's good to hear your voice from across the oceans. Oh,
0: man. Now, for those who haven't been keeping track at home, uh, you are no longer uh, in the great country of Australia. You are in the UK these days. How's life in the UK treating you, brother?
1: Yeah, it's going good. I'm, I'm living in Sheffield after moving here at the start of the year. So it's been a bit of a strange transition having been mostly in COVID lockdown in our apartment since we got here, but it's been going well, I've been painting a lot, get, getting sort of into the hobby. I think there's nothing better to spend your your, your COVID ISO time with than painting up a couple of armies. So Amen that's what I've that. been doing.
0: Nice. Now, For those who are not keeping track at home, you recently got an airbrush, A, um, and that's been helping you with your painting endeavors, but also, B, you have been looking at uh, the big kahuna of games. You've actually been playing Warhammer 40,000.
1: Yeah. So uh, when I moved to Brisbane originally, I bought a 40K Army with the Mm -hmm. hope of playing some games, which is good. I I got a few games in there, but um, coming to... Sheffield I thought I'd get back into the 40k uh, side of things with the new edition and try and you know meet some people go on the equivalent of nerd tinder and make some friends rolling dice yes so I uh yeah I've I've um I've painted up my second army for the year so far I did a Custodies army and have just sort of gotten a imperial guard army up to scratch as well and and been experimenting a lot with the with the airbrush and um, some different painting techniques like oils and enamels uh, as well uh, to mix things up, which is, yeah, great fun. Very, very nice. different than just normal acrylics.
0: You're a fiend, man, painting two armies. I mean, God, I wish I could paint two armies in lockdown. I suppose I, I almost have, but... And that's saying something for me. But for you, I mean, you crank through things. Now, how many guard tanks have you painted? Because um, I spoke to the Mouth of Madness earlier this week, and he was saying that he had seen quite a few.
1: Um, I mean, Brad, you could definitely paint two armies. I mean, this has never been a question of your lack of capacity. It's just you're a much more careful <laughs> and methodical painter than I am. I sort of like slap stuff on and call it a day. I, I've So far, I've painted 10 10 guard tanks. Oh man. Um, since, since about June. Um, and I've, I've done, I think another 60 infantry as well. And a, and a bunch of characters and things. That's um, cool. so just sort of just enough to play about 2000 points with the, with the guard. Uh, now I've got a lot more to go, but, the uh, yeah, done, done quite a lot of them. I will say the airbrush does make things go very fast though. It's not like, you know, hand painting, um, Hand painting, the taste. you you haven't messed around with oils and stuff, have you,
0: Brad? No, I haven't. I know that you guys back in the LRDG days, um, you guys did it a lot. Uh, I know Lachlan messed around with it quite a bit, and I think Tobu did as well. Um, I know Brian Cook and I think Patch yeah. might have as well with the Gap crew. Um, yeah, yeah. But yeah, no, I never, I never partook of the the oils. Uh, I was always the the old school. I'm going to use a brush. And, uh, and a rattle yeah. can. And I'm really boring as far as that goes.
1: <laughs> just, just doing 60 layers of plain white until you get up to a smooth sheen. Oh, I can't um, wait
0: till you ask me what I'm painting right now.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Some more white layers of white vehicles, I'm guessing. Um,
0: what are you talking about? Yeah,
1: yeah, so Toby did the oils. I didn't really mess with them before. I mean, I right. I, I had an airbrush, but I initially bought just a very cheap... Um, Chinese, no brand, Mm -hmm. uh, brush and compressor. And the compressor's fine. still use it. And the brush worked quite well for sort of undercoating things or a bit of Xenophil highlighting. Yeah. Um, You know, where you do a base coat of a colour and then you just spray on on from an angle uh, and a a second lighter colour and then cover over with a glaze with like a thin down paint Mm -hmm. that does pre-shading for you. So I did a bit of that before. But since moving to the UK, I've bought myself a sort of Preposterously expensive and fancy harder and steam becker, um, air, airbrush, which is nice. very fine detail, so I can do some some tricky little, uh, you know, panel shading and things mm-hmm. on the tanks so where to get in that really fine gradation, um, and that is just really fast. I mean, I don't think the airbrushes are particularly necessary if you're just painting twenty eight mil infantry. Yeah. But for tanks and terrain, my God, man, it, it just does make things go so much faster, and particularly the really painful, laborious stuff that you're always quite good at. I was
0: going to say, you mean my favorite stuff to paint?
1: <laughs> Giant, <laughs> wide panels, panels that is. I can,
0: yeah, edge highlight till the cows come home? Yes.
1: That, yeah, that is my my least favorite part of, part of the hobby. So now I'll get to spend more time doing, you know, freehand details on the tanks and and playing around with the chipping and with um, yeah some of the more detailed stuff. So I've been doing a ton of that, a lot of that. Nice,
0: nice. It's yeah, man. It's great to see. And um, I mean, the stuff you're painting. I know you're selling yourself short by say, by saying that I'm a slow, meticulous painter and I'm more careful than you are. You've been sending me pictures of your stuff, and it is astonishingly good. Uh, I mean, and you're you're converting your infantry. Um, So they're not just your same, you know, boring old Cadian models. You've got lots of character, especially in your characters. Um, You've got sort of a medieval feel almost to your guard. And then on top of that, you have these beautifully, you know, drab guard tanks. But they have the chipping. They have um, all the effects that you put on it, plus, you know, the colors that you've airbrushed on. And so though they look like they've been through trenches, they still look Beautiful. Uh, so yeah, I mean I think I think you're selling yourself a little short, Dave.
1: Thanks, man. Yeah, I, I did a lot of conversions. I, I, I really enjoy the sort of kit bashing and, and re-sculpting side of, mm-hmm. of, of the hobby. And I mean like I enjoy the game of 40k, but to be honest, the models are the things I'm more excited about. Um, and the, the potential for conversion. So I've been using a lot of the uh, the house corridor models from Necromunda mm-hmm. for the main main kits and then adding in bits from the gene stealer cult acolytes and flagellants and a few other bits and pieces to sort of make them look like, you know, a bunch of angry murder hobos um, (laughs) running around a hive city. So, you know, that's been really, really good fun. But, um, You've been doing some 40k as well, right, mate? You did some some um, I did. some Death Guard and Empress Children and things. Have you have you played a game of, of Night Tradition? No.
0: Uh, I was so I I pulled out the the Death Guard that I had begun a million years ago that, wa- that were a combination of almost all the Uh, Death Guard Metal Models Games Workshops ever made. Um, It was a combination of like all those marks thrown together. And um, as I've said on this cast somewhere in the past, uh, I was uh, encouraged to try out um, 30K. And so I tore the weapons and backpacks and some of the accessories off of all of those models that I had in an old army and put 30K versions of them on. Because that particular mark of armor that those old Death Guard m- were um, happened to be a 30K mark. And so they, they, they're sure they're fat and sure they're riddled with pustules and all of the, the grossness that comes with uh, plague marines. But by putting the 30K weapons on them, they could easily be Death Guard, you know, late heresy, Siege of Terra. And so that way they work for 30K and 40K. And I finished all the infantry. I just have to put one more highlight on the backpacks. Um, I restored, stripped, cut back. It took forever. A Rogue Trader era Land Raider. Rebuilt it. Got it all set, ready to go. And um, I got a Contemptor Dreadnought and stripped all the Imperial iconography off of it, scraped it all off, cut it all off, made it smooth added um, some Death Guard iconography with green stuff, um, got it all set and ready to go, and then lockdown happened. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I was supposed to play in an event that was supposed to happen in September run by uh, Adam Trepetzky, old friend of the show, Um, and uh, he posted today that unfortunately that event's not going to be going forward, um, understandably. So, I mean, with Moab canceled and CanCon canceled for next year, Um, All the big events in Australia, uh, in in most states, are not going forward. Uh, Ironically, there was a big bolt action tournament in Tasmania a couple weekends ago. But uh, yeah, um, for most of Australia, there aren't events happening. And so um, that sort of killed my love of that project temporarily. I am keen to get back to it. Um, I have all the bits and pieces. I dug out all the conversion bits i need i have a ton of forge rolled bits and pieces to make more plague marines um so yeah i'm excited about it it looks good um and only because i spent forever on it and i don't normally say my stuff looks good but i'm happy with how it looks um and yeah it really punches you in the eye with nauseous green uh <laughs> literally every infantry model the greens it's like i think six layers um
1: so they, they look really nice. You showed me a few photos. I mean, you've really got that like games workshop trained style of very clean, layered up panels of of paint with the the sort of bright highlights and that and that kind of thing. They look really nice. I mean, I guess that's what I was saying with like the the methodical style because I I really like the look of that stuff. But to be completely honest, I I don't have the patience for it. And as as I've always kind of always been with the hobby like my joy is punching out armies really fast and I like having finished things like I can paint okay because I'm not not like I'm doing anything awful or anything like that but the my preference really is when I can see results quickly without having to invest too much on those those beautiful layers. But they look yeah. awesome on your death guard. I think they've come mm. up. The couple that you showed me came up really nice.
0: Thanks, man. Well, the the army, the infantry for the army, I think there's thirty Death Guard, uh, 30 Plague Marines just about done. I just have to touch up a backpack bases and everything else are finished. And so at this point it's um adding the fun bits. Characters, Terminators, because I have the Death Shroud terminators to go with them. Uh, the the land raider. I have a Mortarian, not the forty k one. I actually don't like that one. The thirty k one, which looks a lot scarier, like the Grim Reaper, rather than a giant flying butterfly. Um, and yeah, the old school land raider. So yeah, it looks it looks fun. And had uh, got together with um, when we did have a break in lockdown. Earlier this year, I did actually play a game of 40K. It was weird. Um, I played a game of Rogue Trader with uh, our good friend John, uh, John Hog from, uh, who's been on the show before, and um, yeah, that was that was actually really weird and fun to go back and play, <laughs> and rereading the Rogue Trader rules. Wow, it is like my idealized memory of 40K. I think is third edition. Um, and to, yeah. go, to go back and play Rogue Trader is like, oh, turning your model counts as part of your movement. Space Marines are toughness three. Like what? Yeah. What is this? <laughs> Power armor only gives you a four up armor save. What? Uh, it was just bizarre. Uh, but it was a lot of, it was so much fun to go back and revisit that. And uh, it brought back a ton of memories of some great games that you know I had as a kid. Um, but man, Second edition cleaned up a lot of that ugly. Um, because it was more of a role playing game to start with. And I love Rogue Trader. Don't don't hear that I'm I'm hating on it over here. But it definitely uh it, it was interesting to go back, let's just say that, having having played a lot of other games since. Um but yeah, I definitely wanna go and play third ed now and see how that
1: goes. I- I really enjoyed listening to your lesson with your uh, not your, lesson, your episode with Rick because mm. I never played Rogue, Rogue Trader. I sort of yeah. got into the hobby right at the end of 2nd Edition and, mm-hmm. and played like a couple of the sort of games you play when you're 12 where you just <laughs> yes. sort of throw dice around and imitate something close to the rules but really not the rules. So I played a fair bit of 3rd Edition which was way tighter <laughs> as yes. a rule set. It didn't have, you know, vortex grenades from oh. from uh, warp spiders and whatever, <laughs> this mm. sort of silly stuff like that. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it's that, that old stuff is kind of fun. I, I, I got to say, I mean, I'm enjoying 40K, but it's such a different game now than what I remember it being yeah. back in 3rd, 4th edition. Like, mm-hmm. the the function of everything is just really different. But yeah, it's, it's pretty fun. I mean, the models are still... Absolutely amazing. Oh, Although, yeah. I, I have been getting my eye tempted by some other like Warlord stuff because at the the club I've been going to here, Steel City Wargaming, people have been playing Conflict. Mm-hmm. And I could say, you know, those armies lined up against each other. They look they look pretty sexy.
0: Now, you're saying Conflict 47. Yeah, yeah. Really? Ooh. Yeah, man. Dude, they, they're some of the models that have come out for that game in recent times. It's sort of been sort of chugging along quietly in the background, uh, and there's some awesome models that you can add to a bolt action army. Uh, or if you want to, you know, play conflict. It's a great game. I love Conflict Forty Seven, um, and I was hoping to play more of it this year. It was one of my New Year's resolutions. <clears throat> uh, <Yeah. laughs> maybe 2021. Uh, yeah, man, because it's it's it really does. Um, it, it The guys who went into it uh, really wanted to do something that was a little different from bolt action while still having it be generally the bolt action engine. And so that there's some really neat, fun mechanics. And if you have some of the newer expansions, um, they really do update uh, bolt action and, and it becomes its own game. Uh, and it's yeah, it's yeah, a lot of fun. So. And yeah, man, they look good conflict armies across from one another. Man, that looks good.
1: Yeah, the mix and stuff are just very impressive. I think mm-hmm. they're they're kind of quite quite fun to to look at that stuff. So yeah. I don't know. We'll, we'll see. We I'm also, to be honest, tempted by anything that I can try out more with my my airbrush and <laughs> the you know the oils and the the enamels because they're just so fun to to paint with, and you just get such a a cheap payoff for very little time investment. Absolutely.
0: Yeah, man. I I would love to. Yeah, I'm I'm good for a new strategy every two years or so, and I, I got I got chipping down about a year ago, so I I, think yeah. I got another year before I pick something else up new. <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, fair call, fair call. Uh, so so hey, yes, hey Brad, I was I got a question for you, Uh-oh. and this is about <laughs> you going into your twilight years, you know, the graying of, of Brad Morin.
0: <laughs> yes, and, sir.
1: Because we we knew each other. Well, we we first got so much to know each other when we were playing a ton of tournaments. And when you were, I would say, quite a competitive 40K player at the time. And, you know, trying to be less of a competitive fantasy player um, just because you didn't get in as many reps in terms of games. But you have really shifted in in the last couple of years, like last three or four years, I'd say, and gone away from the tournaments I was wondering whether you think this is a stage of life thing, because I've been less interested in tournaments um, as well, and partly just you know time, and but also I can't be bothered really thinking about what the toughest army every thirty yes. seconds is. Um, yeah, I was just curious in your thoughts on how that shift has happened for you, and and, and how you're feeling about you know being the sort of octogenarian casual gamer.
0: Thanks, Dave. Um, well pull up a pull up a stool, Sonny, and let me tell you a story. Um so yeah, I guess when I met you I was uh at the tail end of my 40k competitive ridiculousness. Um and for those who don't know, I'm not saying this, I'm just saying it at, to to give a context. Um I I won a couple of really big events. Um I was rated one of the best players in Australasian in Australasia for a number of years. Um, I traveled across Australia for all the big tournaments. Uh, I cycled through armies. I followed the meta. I went to the first ever Australian Masters. um, And going to the Masters and um, going to a couple of other really big events sort of drew a giant or emphasized something for me. And um, I think it was that I really didn't enjoy... I was starting to take things. I mean, I had been taking things seriously for quite a while. I mean, I was following that meta like you were re- referencing a minute ago, and I was really, really focused on how can I have the get maximum points for composition? How can I get maximum points for painting? Um, how can I do that while having an army that is competitive on the tabletop? And how can I get maximum sportsmanship when I'm playing? Um, all of which caused me to have because I was trying to max out on every single point I could get before I got to the tabletop, and then I tried to be yeah. my opponent. And I it, it caused me no end of stress. And towards the end, um, I mean, you saw me at CanCon, I wouldn't sleep uh for entire long weekends and the entire week before, and it wasn't that I was out partying, which is what I'd done earlier in my competitive wargaming career. Um, I was like, oh, cool, I'm going to go to bed at a reasonable time. I'm going to get a good night's rest. I'm going to come back tomorrow, and I'm going to kick ass. And then I wouldn't sleep because I was anxious, and I would just worry and worry and worry, and it stopped being fun. Um, on top of that, I went to the first Masters, and uh, a friend of mine cheated against me badly in a game. I caught him, and I felt so bad for him, I let it go, and it ruined kind of ruined it all for me. It was like you, like it it really showed the the, sort of the worst of white line fever in action. And I was accused of being cheating after the event because of some other snafu um, that occurred with the scoring. And people accused me of chipmunking someone, the guy who cheated against me. And if you actually look back, I gave him Really good sports, because yeah. I, I try not to hold it against him, And the whole thing soured me on competitive gaming in a massive way, which is why I started playing Fantasy. And I played, a, a, I guess, a couple of 40K games after that. But then I got into Bolt Action, and we took that seriously. We played it all the time. We had a great time. And I went to CanCon again and didn't sleep. Um, and there were several CanCons in there, but there was one CanCon in particular, and you know which one I'm talking about, and... Um, I ended up abusing verbally um, Lachlan the entire time for having uh, an aggressive army, and he did, but it wasn't bad. And I was I was embarrassingly um, how do I say I don't know stressed out about other people's business. And then we ended up playing a game, and I tabled him, um, but I yelled at him the whole time, and. I got home and realized what a horse's ass I'd been, and I haven't been to CanCon since. Um, And I stopped playing to win, literally then. And I've sort of become allergic to competition. Um, I still like to go to events occasionally. I like to play games. um, And I like to take weird stuff, usually to take the pressure off. I don't I know a lot of people talk about listing and like coming up with great army lists to do well on the tabletop. I don't really write army lists anymore because that was part of the competition for me. Um, And so generally if I play a casual game, I will show up with my figure case. I try to show up 10 minutes early, pull models out, throw them into an army, add it up on the spot and then play. So there's very little prior thought to tactics into what I'm taking And I do that with Warlords of Erewhon. I do it with Bolt Action. I do it with just about every game I play now. Seven TV. It's like, cool, this looks cool. throw it down. No problem. Add it up. Cool. I have an extra point. I'll go do this thing. Nice. Done. And it's not that I know what I'm doing. It's just I try to make it a fun game, given what I've put on the tabletop. Um, And so I don't know if that answers your question, and that's kind of a bummer and a downer, but that's kind of where I've gone. Um, And in avoiding... Uh, some of the, you know, competitive uh, aspects of gaming, I have um, I've sort of shied away from a lot of events. I was looking forward to playing in a few this year. I have a few things up my sleeve that I was going to put on the tabletop. Not that I've spent literally more than five minutes on coming up with an army concept. More that it's theme and it's fun, like working on my G.I. Joe stuff. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's just things that bring me joy. Um, because... I have enough, you know, stress and worry in my day job. You know, trying to help our children, our nation's children, to read. Um, and you know, there's enough going on in, in my real life that I don't need to actually then turn around and worry about my hobby too. Um, does that make sense?
1: Yeah, no, it does. It does. I mean, I, I guess partly what I'm, I'm I wonder is like how has the transition towards being more, you know, system curious rather than Mm. sort of monogamous with one being for you because you were definitely a player that was obsessively into the system that that you were into. I mean, especially when I first got to know you with 40K, like you were constantly listing out stuff in your mind and playing around with that. Um, Less so with fantasy, but definitely with bolt action as well. Like you were really hunting that next hit that next sort mm-hmm. of spicy little mama jamma of a combo that you yes. could pull out and um yeah i just I, to me I, I found it interesting watching you be um i mean obviously chiller and more happy with the gaming which is awesome but but also not having something which i, I guess occupies has it been the hobby that's been more occupying or is it the, the podcasting yeah i'm just curious about that shift for you because you were you know, quite an obsessive gamer with the particular system that you were playing at the time.
0: I was. Um, I think it. A lot of it comes down to um, comes down to this podcast. Uh, when I when the LRDG um, when I I guess I left after that cancon for a while, and then I came back. But then the LRDG, we're, we're all still friends. We see each other. Um, I Saw Lachlan on the weekend. We went for a walk. Um, it was. Um, it was the last time I was on a podcast that was obsessively about one game. Uh, and that yeah. was on the Ghost Army. And that was, but again, that was part of when I left the, comp, the competitive and I left more competitive minded. And most of the Ghost Army guys aren't. So I'm not, don't mishear me when I say that. I just needed to be away from that. Um, I was doing my master's and a, a bunch of other things. And when we started the LRDG2, I say we because you were on the first episode, um, I intentionally went out and wanted to to touch on other games. But Bolt Action was still going to be the primary focus. Yeah. Um, but then the more I started messing around with other things and having fun and playing games with uh, mates like Dave Monroe, who is, um, you know, the definition of I'll play whatever, you know, cool, that looks fun. Let's play a game. Um, And we started messing around with like Car Wars and then um, Gaslands and, you know, we're playing all these seven TV, like all these sort of weird, wonderful, in some cases, ancient games. Uh, It just really reminded me that there's a lot of great games out there. And when the LR, when uh, WWPD sort of blew up, I knew about six months before it disappeared that it was going to. And, um, I, I pulled the plug on the LRDG two. I was constantly getting feedback from listeners saying, why aren't you doing more bolt action? This is a bolt action podcast. Go back to bolt action. And that really bummed me out. And so I took a break, pulled the plug, hard restarted. And on Halloween, two years ago, um, hundred episodes ago, Cast Ice was born. Uh, and that doesn't mean that I don't play bolt action. It's still one of my favorite games. Uh, it doesn't mean that I don't love the stuff that warlord does because I do their podcast and I do Yeah yeah um but I'm having a lot more fun and Cast Ice has helped drive my enthusiasm. Now I've said it on this podcast before and I'm sure I'll say it again. I'm an adult. I am a I'm an adult with functioning ADD and I don't say that in the joking oh I have ADD ha ha ha. I was a Ritalin kid in the 80s. I um I had a learning difficulty. I had a hard time learning in school. Until I had um, strategies, um, and it took it took Ritalin and years of practice and, you know, working with people to have the strategies to succeed. And I graduated university very highly, um, did very well, and I've been doing well with life. So, you know, not poor me, but I am impulsive because of my ADD, and I... Um, I'm not medicated or anything like that these days. It is just me naturally the way I am. And sometimes you'll hear me get really excited about things. Uh, And that's because that's the, ooh, a goldfish. uh, Sorry, ooh, a castle goldfish syndrome that I have. Um, I get really excited about things. And I've been able to funnel that into this show. um, And I keep my attention span focused on what the next episode is or what two episodes are ahead. And I don't intentionally look at some things until I'm right about to do the episode because I know I'm going to fall in love with it. And that means, and I often get accused of causing people to spend too much money. Sorry guys. Um, But I'm the worst victim of that on the show. Uh, Anything that I'm excited about, I talk about. And now I did actually have some really interesting feedback recently I had a gentleman on YouTube and Facebook, um, rather uh, dramatically, tell me how I was a shill uh, for Warlord Games and how I am, you know, how you know. Can you believe oh, this guy? A, you know,
1: such a deep moral failing, Brad. That the official Warlord Games podcast might try and sell some Warlord Games. Oh, I but can't it, believe it.
0: It was I did a, a review video of um, Victory at Sea, but it was on the Cast Dice. Uh, it was on the Cast Dice YouTube channel. Yeah, and yeah. the guy lost his mind. And But I literally, like, in the first five words, I am the host of the Warlord Games podcast. Let me tell you about this review copy that I got because I'm the host of the pod... Anyway. Dude was not a part of it. But, um, but I've said it a lot, and I'll continue to say it. I talk about what I, I like. I, I try not to talk about things I don't like. And... I don't want to bore people with, or I don't want to, you know, people spend a lot of time and a lot of money and a lot of effort creating these games, especially the smaller game companies that I've really been digging into with Cast Dice. And who am I to go crap on somebody's hard work if someone else enjoys the game? There's too much negativity on the internet. I'm not going to talk about something I'm not excited about. So if I I, talk about it
1: like attest to you being a frustratingly positive person about most things <laughs> Who mean? in your like yeah I mean like in in most things in the hobby I and mean, you do you do have your moments but for the most <laughs> part you are like I don't know how do I say this in a way that's not xenophobic you're very American like Thanks. you love things a lot when you love things yes, it's I not do. you don't pull out the sort of Australian. Oh yeah, it's okay. I guess what you actually mean is I love it. It's my favorite thing in the world. Like you, yeah. you go full Brad and, and chuck out the optimism yeah. and love pretty, but uh, that's honest. That's not you pulling a pose. That's just yeah. you being a, a excitable, positive dude.
0: Yeah. That was actually, um, Bowl, Michael Bowles, one of the, one of the big, uh, or Nana Balls, as he's sometimes called, uh, one of the big personalities in the 40 K scene here, Uh, Every time he sees me now, he comes up to me and says, dude, man, how you doing? And it's him doing an impression of me of every time I played Warhammer 40K back in the day. He's like, oh, it's the best game I've ever played. And uh, on one hand, you know, I won't lie. I, I was, you know, trying to give people a good time because sports was part of it. But it wasn't disingenuous. I, I want to have a good time when I play these games. And I want my opponent to have a good time when we're playing these games. And I would actually apologize when I would, you know, quote-unquote dick pick kick people on the tabletop. Because that's not fun. Like, I, I have been... Shut out so many times. Most of the time, when playing Dave, hi Dave. Um, but <laughs> I've had my face kicked in so many times that you just go, yeah, this isn't fun. And I'm Dave. I'm sorry. I'm not trying to say you're not fun, but you have kicked my keister in every game system ever. Anyway. Um, the, the, I try the, to the make sure it might not
1: have been fun, but at least they were fast. I got, <laughs> <laughs> I got it over and done with quickly.
0: I don't think, I think in every time, other than that, maybe that one fantasy tournament where you were, were you were the TO and you were playing the goddamn Gumby and you tabled me. And I was like, what the, f-? I lost like you lost like two dog models and I lost my whole damn army and I had a bloodthirster. Anyway, <clears throat> moving on. Um, yeah. No, I don't know. Um, I just try to be positive and happy. And uh, I, I guess that's what I try and bring to, to cast eyes. But yes, the show feeds. I, I, I don't think I'd be happy as a hobbyist if I didn't do the show or play in tournaments or have a blog or do something to give me creative output, if that makes sense.
1: But yeah. Yeah, no, it does I, I definitely have noticed that like the, you've, a lot of your attention has sort of shifted to, to the, the podcast side. I mean, obviously, you're playing a lot and you're painting constantly and all that too. But yeah, yeah I've noticed it's been interesting as a friend watching that shift for you um, as you've – I don't know. Would you even say you have a main game at the moment, Brad? No. I
0: haven't had a main game in a while. And Kirsten, actually, my wife asked me that a little while back. She said, what is your main game? I said, I don't know. Um, I'm literally looking at my to-do pile. I have a 28 millimeter Castle Greyskull. I have um, some really cool Star Wars Legion Inferno Squad models. I have the next 10 G.I. Joe models, base coat and washed, ready for detail painting. Uh, I have Black Panther from Marvel. I have 20 Samurai for the new Test of Honor. I have some bot war robots, the teenage mutant ninja turtles in twenty eight millimeter, and um, some more fantasy zombies. So
1: quite a collection of uh, random stuff. Yeah.
0: Oh, and I have a sand crawler that uh, the what he, the one and only uh, wonderful muddy funster used his airbrush and got all beautiful for me. I just need to paint the tracks uh, and one little like folded blanket on the, on the roof. Uh, but yeah, it's a 28 or a 32 mil, whatever mil Star Wars Legion, uh, Jawa sandcrawler. So I got that too. So yeah, stuff.
1: Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's a real collection. I've also, I mean, I I think the GI Joe stuff you do is really intriguing to me as well, because it is sort of you, Making your own hobby. I mean, like I know other people do the GI Joe thing too, but but there is like
0: yeah, most of those guys have a yeah. game to play it with. <laughs> yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. But you're not like joining the GI Joe wargaming hobby in Melbourne, right? You are just no, like
0: exactly. It's just me.
1: Um, just you having massive nostalgia for your your yeah. your action figures and then and doing the hobby. I don't know. I just find that kind of curious. Again, to me, it feels like a very different pattern than the previous of like, I'm going to play this game competitively and my yep. hobby is centered around events and centered around particular clubs and metas. You know, it's just, it's a very different pace.
0: It It hobby. is very different. Um, and keeping the momentum on the Joe stuff has been, I mean, I painted one vehicle at a time for years. Um, and I would just work them into my, um, painting queue of whatever I was painting, just for fun. And eventually, I painted more and more and more. And Patch, thankfully, uh, helped me paint uh, a good chunk of my Cobra infantry. And when lockdown happened, I said I was going to paint a G.I. Joe army. And then I ended up painting a bunch of Cobra characters and vehicles to go with the infantry that Patch had painted previously. So I finished that army, and then lockdown happened again. And I said, okay, cool. Well, I've con- lovingly converted all these infantry models, and the idea of painting an entire army worth of infantry uh, makes my teeth itch. But I'm—I have time now. I might as well sit down and do it. And so I've been trying to knock out um, maybe five a week, and um, you know, usually it's just one at a time. What's what's weird about them is, and going back to uh, your your comment about me loving white. I am painting a winter-themed GI Joe army, so um, <laughs> I have in- after
1: all the pain your fins did <laughs> gave you. yes,
0: my fins and Soviets in winter suits. Um, yeah. Yes, I have. Well, all the vehicles in the army are white, whitewashed, chipped to the vehicle colors that the original toys were underneath. Yeah. And all the infantry are converted to look like each and every individual G.I. Joe character, which means they all have different colored pants. They have different hats. They have different mustaches. You know, they're all different. Um, But I'm trying to unify the force by most of them wearing white winter jackets. Um, And so they're all wearing white coats. uh, And I sculpted fur collars on them all. And so they all have those. And then, uh, so recently I just finished the, the guys with blue pants. So I'm painting them in tiny batches. Now I'm working on the khaki pants. Uh, and next week, if I can get these done, I'll work on the camo green pants because dark green was two weeks ago. So it's just, you know, trying to uh, work them through. But it's, I got to say, it's tons of fun to go back to those. Um, and versus, you know, in the past where I painted armies and batches like I guess what you're describing I used to do a lot more when I was when I was painting for events I would paint to the the painting standard what is it that is going to give me the best possible score for this tournament I'm going to do that versus what I'm doing with the GI Joe which is I'm going to paint these um till I think they look done and I'm going to try and put extra effort in and I, here are my favorite characters and why. Uh, and it's just revisiting all the, the cool, fun stuff I did as a kid. Uh, and, you know, I was putting together one of the characters, uh, Spirit Iron Knife, the second Native American in the G.I. Joe team. And I was like, oh, for some reason I want to like make this character kneeling. I wonder why. And then I went back and dug through some pictures and realized on his toy file card the art had him kneeling and went, oh, I didn't even remember that. But I felt, you know, when I built him, I I was like, oh, he should be a kneeling guy. And then that's why. And then to actually go back and go, oh, I remember this, I remember that. And it's just a lot of fun. Um, Dave, wait till you, uh, wait till I get into the, start painting my Masters of the Universe models because I have a (laughs) pile of them now. Uh, I just got to get through the GI Joe first. But Yeah,
1: yeah. (laughs) <laughs> I, I do think it's really interesting that difference because it it wasn't just that you would paint like to a standard for the tournament. You very much were, you painted to lists. Like you would devise lists that yeah. you thought were really brutal or like whatever optimized yeah. within the context you are playing them. Correct. And then you would paint them over school holidays. So you would like in two weeks. Mm-hmm obsessively paint for eight hours a day and paint up an entire army in in that time and then you would sort of often move on to a new project like you you would like I I remember like with your um with your guard in Valkyries army it's like you didn't then continue to paint a 10,000 point guard collection you like you painted up your list and then it was like Next. the eyeballs or then yeah. it was on like the the you know like it was this very list driven hobby whereas you're it's it strikes me that but with the Star Wars stuff with the um GI Joe stuff it's very collection based like you're wanting to have all the different things yeah and it's just a very different yeah style I think mean, it's interesting to me
0: yeah and it's for the GI Joe in particular um I mean Star Wars to a degree because I had a lot of the action figures for those um and some of the toys like I really wanted and I think the Star Wars is what really started it out or maybe not because I think I had G.I. Joe first but I really wanted to have some of the things that I had as a kid and so one of the very first uh, G.I. Joe vehicles that I built was the G.I. Joe APC and the G.I. Joe Vamp which uh, the Vamp was I think the second G.I. Joe toy I ever owned and the APC was one of my favorites to play with as a kid And so to build and paint those and then to have them in 28 mil brought me so much joy to be like, cool, I have these and now I can play with them. And my APCs have been making an appearance on Star Wars tabletops as like terrain in the background Um, because they look like generic sci-fi, big wheeled like cargo trucks. And so cool. Of course they belong here. Um, But just to to recreate part of my collection and then i've been listening to a lot of gi joe um like collecting podcasts and lore podcasts where they talk through the comic books and it's just reminded me of how much i loved that as a kid and gi joe i mean what gi joe started it all for me um without gi joe i would never do what i do now um, I don't know what I do, but uh, you know, toy soldiers. My love of toy soldiers happened because I loved GI Joe as a kid, and I was a mad collector of GI Joe before I was a collector of anything else. And uh, so, yeah. But yeah, it's it's nice. It's it's it brings me joy um, just to to say that over again. Mary Kondo it, but um, to to, <laughs> to 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 have these things again, uh, and to have to open. Uh, my cabinet and to have an entire shelf be uh 28 millimeter cobra models uh including you know a pile of vehicles in the background and a giant transport helicopter which is a toy they never made but was in the comic books like i can have stuff that never happened i can have stuff that i never owned but wanted to uh and so yeah it's 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 a lot of fun it's cool anyway that's me. Um, in case you're wondering, guys, where how this conversation is a little bit different than the average Cast Ice episode, uh, Dave's on um, to interview me back because several of you have asked recently, how come no one ever asks you questions? Uh, I should have said that at the beginning, but uh, maybe it's a little late in the game or maybe I shouldn't have said it at all. But in case you're wondering... Dave is supposed to be asking me about things as part of our conversation today. Um, so thanks, Dave.
1: <laughs> no worries, Brad. No worries, mate. Um, yeah. Well, related to that, I'm, I'm curious on the painting side because, like I was saying earlier, I, I think if, if someone showed me a Brad Moran painted model from from now or from, you know, 11 years ago when I met you, I would know that it was a Brad Moran painted model. Like there's a very (laughs) particular style that you've got to it with sort of bright, clean block colours, clear line, like uh, line um, sort of shading and things like that. That is, is really specifically your style. And I was wondering, do you reckon that you've developed that style as sort of like a, It's a riding a bike thing where like this is where how you know how to paint or is this just the the part of painting that you find the most fun?
0: So uh, I can actually I've been thinking about that a lot, too, uh, in lockdown where I've been doing a lot of painting. So I went to work for Games Workshop in 1999 and I had been playing Warhammer 40K since 1987, 88, uh, and so I'd been playing for over 10 years, and I'd been uh, painting for over 10 years, because I'd, I'd mm. started painting a little bit before that with Battletech and with um, some generic crappy skeletons but it, it wasn't until I got to, to Warhammer that I started and painting Space Marines and then Imperial Guard and other assorted orcs and that sort of thing that I, I really got to painting. In fact, games, I was hired out of the uh, grand tournament scene. I um, was a regular at all the Baltimore grand tournaments that existed. Uh, I started going when they first started holding them. It was a weekend away in Baltimore. They put you up in a hotel. They fed you. It was this massive deal. And so I flew up from New Orleans and kept playing. And I would show up and look at these beautifully painted armies. Uh, and almost mm. everyone who showed up, I mean, it was like the master class. And back then, you didn't have the internet to look at. And you know, you to yeah, White yeah. Dwarf Magazine, and it was unattainable. And you walk into a room where most of the armies weren't necessarily to that standard, they were still, you know, the, those that were a cut above, but they were so much better than I could paint. I at that point wasn't priming my models before I painted them; like it was awful. And I wasn't. I wasn't highlighting. I was occasionally washing metallics. Like it, it. I was dry brushing a lot. It was my stuff looked terrible, and I'd been painting, you know, twelve years at that point.
1: Um. But also at that time, you just didn't have a bunch of the technologies. Like, I mean, this was obviously before I started. But when I started, there weren't washes, right? There were true. inks. And yeah, the yeah, Games Workshop true. inks were was super gloss. <laughs> yes, and they like, were. They, you know, the old chestnut ink or the or the, the black ink. Like, it worked on armor. But if you were using it on skin, you actually had to then matte varnish it down. Yeah. And, like, I watched recently watched a YouTube video from midwinter minis i don't know if you've seen any of his stuff brad no, but i haven't he, he he did an unboxing and review of the 1994 citadel paint set which has the like old school space marine mm-hmm. and then the, you know, remember the chaos warrior who's yep. sort of standing in star star jump pose love it um and just actually the paint at that time is maybe hard for people to remember who weren't painted painting in the 90s at all, but the paint was just really bad. Oh, it was just awful. really bad. And that was the, the best paint itself. there was. Yeah.
0: I mean, Games Workshop had the best, and that was the best, and it was terrible. It was terrible. Um, anyway, sorry, I cut you off, mate. Continue. No, that's all right. I think I just cut you off. Um, when I, But I went to work for Games Workshop, and um, I started to live with a guy, uh, Jason Buyaki, a wonderful guy, who... um. Was a Golden Demon winner. He was an astonishingly gorgeous painter. One of the best painters I've ever known. And... He had um, the Golden Demon winning model in a in a glass case on top of the television, because um, back then televisions you could have stuff on top of them, and his Golden Demon next to it. And on weekends, because we both worked for Games Workshop, uh, neither one of us were from that area. You know, we would get out and do things, we'd have a good time, um, and you know, we had friends and we'd go out and do other things, not with each other. But there would be hours every weekend where we would, ju- and a lot of weeknights where we would just sit down put on a bad movie, um, and then paint. And Jason very quickly watched me do what I do and yeah. said, absolutely not. What are you doing? You know, stop that. And um, he put, uh, basically stood over with me with a stick and said, you know, stop that. He bought me my very first can of black primer um, and he bought me some decent paint brushes and he showed me how to begin to paint. And I wouldn't say that I was good at that point. In fact, I was pretty terrible, but I was, it was my first real steps in being you know, a painter. And I remember going to my first staff tournament, and there was a guy there, the manager of mail order, Bob Bassin. And Bob Bassin's famous for many things, uh, no, namely eating everything from one end of the room to the other and being, you know, just a character. But Bob was also famously, like, seriously colorblind, and he won painting competitions with his Dark Elf fantasy army. Um, and I, you would look at it, and it was gorgeous from a distance. And I just, I would stare at it and stare at it and stare at it, because it was it was on display outside of mail order in the hall at Games Workshop, and I would just I would just look at it and go, man, I wish I could paint that. And my old boss, um, said, told me, you you know he's colorblind, and I said, I how could he be colorblind and paint this? It was amazing, and he he literally said. Um, and I, and I, again, I don't know if this is entirely true, Bob, if you're listening. Um, but I was told by, um, a friend, I think my boss at the time that he had someone point out which colors worked together as they blended. And then he he blended the pots until he had like seven or, you know, have gradients of purple, but they blended together and he would just put line highlights. The, the thickest one would be dark, then a slightly thinner of the next color, slightly thinner of the next color, slightly thinner all towards the edge. And by the time he finished, if you look super carefully and super closely, it was just a million gradations of line. And it stuck with me. And now when I paint windshields, when I paint edges, I paint like Bob Basson, um, because my God, did it punch me in the eye? And I wish I could paint like Bob bass to this day. Um, but that is, that is why I paint the way I do.
1: Yeah. I, I mean, I really love your style. I think it's very interesting to me. It's very noticeable, a bit like, you know, um, our, our mutual friend, Nick Beatty's painting style mm-hmm. is very distinct. Like his painting style is tons of, ak streaking grime you know these very particular things i just think it's curious how how different painters come up with these individual styles and like you you know you're, you're going for that look that you were really impressed with from when you were playing you know warhammer in the in the 90s in like back, yeah. back right back in the in games workshops red period when everyone oh yeah did have this very clean style and then yeah, I don't know. I, don't, I think it's interesting how these different approaches shape people over time.
0: And of course, I haven't seen Bob Bassin since 2001, and mm. maybe, and I haven't seen a model that Bob Bassin painted maybe before that. This is all based on my memory of that process. And so I'm sure if I looked back now, it wouldn't, it wouldn't be what I imagine or why I paint the way I do, um, if that makes sense. But, yeah, um, you know, I, I, I talk a lot with Brian Cook and with Patch and, you know, a lot of those guys, Casey and Seamus, and they are all fantastic painters. But they all have very specific um, styles. And, yes, they share ideas and they share um, strategies but oftentimes I find I can't do it because my style doesn't work with grime. My style doesn't work with yeah, oils. Yeah. However, chipping seems to work great. So, yeah. Uh, it's, it's just, it, yeah. It,
1: Even with the chipping, Brad, you're not using chipping medium, right? You're, you're painting the model in full and yes. then free handing on chips yes. subsequently, right? Correct. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah, because, you know... Why would you not want to put all those layers of white on a model to get it perfect with all the
1: <laughs> black in the recesses,
0: uh, black line, yeah, the yeah. entire thing, and then chip it and then have to fix it when you screw it up?
1: Anyway. Of course. Of course. <laughs> um, yeah. Well, to, to sort of wrap up, I, I had one more question that I thought would be curious to see what your thoughts were. And that was about where do you see yourself in I don't know, another five years. Because it's been about four years since we wound down the... Five years since we wound down the LRDG. I don't even um, know, yeah. And, and, and about that long since I've really stopped playing Bolt Action. And in that time, obviously, you've, you've changed a lot. But, um, yeah, what, do you, what would you like to see in your hobby in another five years' time when you're, you know, in, in the village and you and your old mates <laughs> are playing around? <laughs>
0: Oh man. Uh, when when you say the, yeah, I assume you mean the retirement village.
1: I thought that was yeah, implied, yeah, but yeah. yeah. <laughs> Thanks, jerk. Uh, I,
0: I, I don't know. Uh, that's a really good question. If you had said five years ago or three years ago, I would be doing what I'm doing. I, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I moved to Australia sight unseen, um, all these, what, 16 years ago now. Uh, and, uh, I I'm never one to say it's impossible. You would never end up doing that. I end up doing a lot of weird things that I never thought was possible, having grown up across the world. So it's I, I try not to think too far ahead. Um, I am captivated with the idea of taking cast dice into YouTube. Um, yeah,'m I'm, I'm enjoying um, what I'm doing with putting GI Joe on the tabletop that that series I'm running. And I would love to do more games. I would like to show off the games that we talk about on this podcast. Um, I'm still trying to figure out that technology, and that's been about 18 months in the in the making. And I think I made I hit a big milestone today, guys. I'm very excited. Woo. Um, and if I didn't totally screw up my computer in the process, um, maybe you'll start seeing some new, uh, some new content on YouTube as well. Uh, I would like to keep doing a show like this. Um, I like to keep talking to people, um, and having fun and yeah, I don't, awesome, I don't man. have, I don't have big plans. Um, I, 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 maybe, I think my days of running big events are gone. Um, I, I don't know what yeah. post COVID gaming's going to look like and I've been talking a lot about solo gaming recently and how people can play games during these weird times, uh, and I'm sure something will come of that uh, on this show. But, yeah, I, I would love to finish painting my G.I. Joes. I don't know if that will ever finish. Uh, I do have some masters of the universe to paint, and, and knowing how slow I paint... Um, and some transformers. who knows when I'll finish the nostalgia kick. Uh, but who I may pick up a game religiously again at some point. Who knows? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know, but whatever I do, I hope it will be fun. and I hope that if you're listening, you enjoy it because I think my hobby has shifted away from pure gaming to talking about gaming. Um, this is my hobby, which is why I'm often asked, and I haven't actually said this in a while, and I know I've been asked quite a few times recently since COVID started. I've been asked if I have a Patreon page. I don't. Um, I don't ask people for money. Um, this is this is my hobby um, as much as painting is. And so uh, I wouldn't ever dream to ask of someone to pay for for this. <laughs> it's, it's, it's what I do. Uh, and it's really weird to talk about it like that. But, uh, yeah, uh, I don't know. I think that's it, Dave. I, thanks. I, I, I don't know where I'll end up. I hate that question in job interviews. It always makes me <laughs> sweat. Uh, and, uh, yeah, I, I hopefully I'll have uh, – I will have some really exciting new fun thing to talk about. And I'm sure I will because there's always great stuff coming out in the gaming industry. And there's always something cool to be excited about. There are, as I said at the beginning of this podcast, way too many good games out there than we have time, money, and attention span to play. And uh, yeah, as a kid, I would have loved half of these games to have been out. God, can you imagine me as a kid with G.I. Joe on the tabletop, Transformers? I mean, all of these things that I love. There's a new Car Wars coming out. Uh, it just, it's it's unbelievable. I mean, imagine 80s me looking at what Games Workshop does now. Unbelievable. Uh, there's just too many great games, too many great models, too many great toys to play with. And um, hopefully that trend continues. But yeah, I think that's it. How about you, Dave? I mean, you've moved countries. You've, you've gone back to Games Workshop because uh, you were a massive fantasy guy. Uh, and now you're playing the 40Ks. Any idea? I mean, I know it's hard to tell. You've moved to a new place and it's been locked down, and I know that's a little strange. Um, what are your thoughts?
1: Um, look, for the moment, I'm I'm playing 40k, which we you know pick, pick up games at the club, which has meant more competitive games, for the most part, which is fine. But I would, I guess, ideally, I'd be more more interested and more keen on getting into like Necromunda and some of the more specialist games. Yeah. I, I think also I'd really love to do more like um, you know th- narrative games and campaign weekends and that kind of thing. I I still enjoy a competitive game. You'll be shocked to hear Brad and, and
0: <laughs> Yes, like, you don't say.
1: pulling out some sneaky little rules combos that yeah. people didn't expect does yeah. still bring me joy, but <laughs> I kind of can't be bothered with chasing tournament metas yeah. and that sort of thing I'd, and I'd, I'm honestly more interested in the hobby side at the moment the painting has been bringing me a lot of joy I mean, it's very nice having that being you know in a new country and then because of lockdown not having had a chance to really get to know no people over yeah. here for the last six months while we've been working at home and locked indoors but ideally I'd like to do more of that I mean I, I was also getting a bit of the nostalgia but more for things that I was playing in high school, like I was rereading the Inquisitor rule book, mm-hmm. um, which we played quite a lot in high school. So I guess more of that that stuff. I, I am very excited about the range of board games and specialist games that Games Workshop has produced yeah. recently. And as much as everyone likes a Space Marine and then another Space Marine, and then another Space Marine <laughs> on repeat every year for now till infinity, Beyond. I... I yeah. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. Maybe some Blood Bowl, maybe some War Cry. Like that game we played a War Cry when I was in 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 Melbourne late last year it was pretty fun. I thought. Yeah, it's Wouldn't a very fun game.
0: I Man, Necromunda is in such a great place right now. Like the just the depth that they're going into, uh, the new models that are coming out. It's amazing, and that was a game I was supposed to be playing a lot of this year. Um, I have yeah, you know, yeah. thanks to you, I have a. Painted gang and I have uh, I I bought uh, a box of the enforcers that looked like my beloved Arbites that I played for years uh, and I got 3D printed heads to go on them Arbite heads to go on the enforcers to turn them into Arbites and so I'm I, I'm that's one of the games that I'm looking forward to playing but uh, did you did you play War Master at any point in your long lost past. Was that a game that was out when you were playing?
1: Warmaster was out. No, I never played Warmaster. I mean, Warmaster and Epic were pretty big. Um, when when I started playing, you know, around the end of second edition 40 K, that was when you started to have inquisitor was released. Battlefleet Gothic was released. Epic was quite big. Warmaster was not as big, but was still, was still there, I guess. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, yeah, there was a bit of that. I never played the the small scale games. Yeah, though I was kind of a poor thirteen year old, so games yeah. like like yeah. Mordheim were really accessible for exactly. us because we could we could you know buy your ten witch hunters and, and play with them. Necromunda and Inquisitor were also quite quite like that. So no, I never did play the um, never did play the 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 War stuff. Did you ever get into
0: that? I did. We played it on staff, uh, so I. Uh, it was weird. It was like Battlefield Gothic and Mordheim. We played it to death because I worked for trade sales. You know, selling to, yeah. to customers. We had to know the games to sell them, and so we would have staff events, uh, and we and we and the trades team would get together and play games with one another. Um, and we would get pre release copies and things early. And we often didn't have the miniatures to play these games because they didn't exist right. yet. So we often had to, um, you know, kit bash stuff or proxy and play things out. So we knew what we were selling. Um, not to mention, it was fun. Uh, and so I loved the few games of Warmaster I played. Um, but then when I left the company and went back to New Orleans, Nobody played it there. And so I eventually sold on my beloved undead and went on to other things. But I've recently discovered that Warmaster has a community-driven uh, rule. It's got its own like set of rules. And it's it's the same rules that Rick wrote way back when, but they've been, you know, lovingly updated and kept current with new army lists by like a rules committee that is similar to what like the Kings of War guys do. Um, and yeah, it looks good. It looks fun, but I'm like, Oh, I I need I don't need another game system says the guy <laughs> with a list of games. He's supposed to cover on this podcast in the next year.
1: <sighs> that, that is, that is quite tempting to me though, because I know some of the Wednesday night Warhammer guys played a bit of Warmaster recently. Yeah. Um, and I, I, I would be, be tempted by that again i do think that that scale is actually a a better scale for playing rank and flank agreed army games then yeah then yeah, than really than the, the sort of 28 mil mass ranked infantry stuff that fantasy delivered on so that that stuff would be tempting I, I i guess the big difference for me is i a lot of my current hobby is pushed by what models i want to yeah. paint mm-hmm. and that's where the Necromunda stuff has really got me, got me tempted just Mm because those models are so nice. Like, I don't know if you saw the, um, the, the recent Escher stuff that came out
0: gorgeous, Um, right?
1: Really impressive, really, really impressive. And you just compare that to a lot of what we used to be playing with back in the day. Um, Mm -hmm. yeah, I'm, I'm nostalgic for the old Necromunda models, particularly for the redemptionists, but you look at a lot of them and they're all pretty generic and actually not not as nearly as exciting as as I might want to remember but you look at the current models and my goodness they are oh, impressive so and those, so those plastics are just a, a delight to convert and paint, paint up.
0: Mhm. Well, I was surprisingly uh and people talk about, you know, how 3D printing is changing the world and people talk usually, you know, are referencing um Most 3D printed things that people talk about are the larger things. Vehicles, right? Uh, Yeah, yeah, yeah. Although there's been an increasing number of infantry models and Kickstarters where people are putting out entire ranges. There was recently a World War II one that came out and people all of a sudden have, you know, they they look a little chunky. I think it's because you can print them for 15 mil or 28 mil. And because you have those options, they work both ways. And so they look a little chunky, World War II for uh, the infantry models in the the larger scale. Yeah. But surprisingly, one of the games that's really benefited in one of the scales are the really, really small ones. So there have been a ton of 3D-printed Warmaster, like Kickstarters and product ranges that have come out recently where all of a sudden tons of models exist that don't, you're not trying to hunt down old out of print games or shop models that can be very pricey all of a sudden you can 3d print in resin if you have a nice resin printer countless warmaster models for a fraction of the price and man whew, that's that, that's yeah that, that,
1: mm. that stuff is super impressive but the, those resin printers the things that they're able to you know the, the liquid so resin ones that they've got now that the quality of that has shifted so much from when Mm-hmm. even from when you were starting to buy 3d printed stuff a couple of years ago brad so it true. Was the um the filament printing and it's just gotten so much nicer i'm curious to see how it does does develop in the next next couple of years but mm-hmm. the i think it's looking good all around the, the the amount of advancement in miniature painting in all aspects like the tools we've got access to the different kinds of, of, of paints and resources is just Absolutely, you know, we've come a long way from our goblin green coated bases and yeah. red spear hafts.
0: It's true. Oh man, there it, it trips me out. There's a guy in the uh, in the the He-Man Masters of the Universe gaming Facebook group, and yes, kids, that exists, um, who has painted his bases green, but not like the old goblin green, but to like match yeah. the Eternia feel. And man, so good. So good. And just looking at it going, oh, I want to paint some green bases. Uh, but, yeah, that I might start, you know, twitching if I start putting green near a base, though, that isn't uh, Tufts of Flock.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's, just, it's all about the bold primary colors on everything. Yeah. <laughs> oh, cool. God.
0: I, here I was talking about all the games I'm looking at. And, of course, I'm looking at Black Seas and Victory at Sea as well. Those two boxes are literally at my elbow because uh, uh, Mouth of your, Madness and I are at looking at Black Sea and you've played Black Seas
1: yeah, yeah I really enjoyed Black Sea we, me and often played a couple of games over Christmas mm. while I was in Australia um, that was really fun and the, the Victory at Sea stuff looks awesome but uh wow. models are really nice Really like. I really like that they have got them molded into the waves like you discussed right? on the podcast I think it looks looks really good on them
0: yeah a lot of people hate on that and say they're on surfboards I'm I like it. I I wasn't sure until I opened the box. And now that I've seen them in person, oh, yeah, I'm a fan. And I can't wait to paint those waves. Uh, And that's going to be, that's, again, another one of those games. that So many good games these days, and I know I keep saying that, but games that are easy to pick up, so you can pick up. If you play a ton of games, like I loved Malifaux. I loved the aesthetic of Malifaux. I love the story of Malifaux. But playing Malifaux was painful because I didn't play enough (laughs) Malifaux to get it. Yeah, now yeah, you gotta I play mean, a few games together. Yeah, but there, like, Victory at Sea, uh, you can pick up, you can play. I have, okay, I've, I can't necessarily say that because I haven't played it yet. But I've, I've pushed the models around on the tabletop enough to be able to talk about it on a podcast, and it seems pretty straightforward. And yet there is those you'd have to make those difficult decisions. There, it forces you to make some choices, and so it, it's a game that has some depth and some. It has some teeth to it and some tactics. And I love that that, there are so many games these days that have a hook where you're like, oh, it isn't as straightforward as it looks. Ooh, I like this. How do I keep going with this? War Cry is another example of that. Great game. Lots of fun. Easy to pick up. But the more you play it, very quickly you discover, oh, you have to really think about how this works. Otherwise, you know, you might get caught with your pants down. And, yeah, it's It's great, man. Great.
1: Correct. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Uh, Well, Dave, man, I got to say, it has been absolutely wonderful to sit down and talk with you today. Um, Thank you for being the host of Cast Dice this week. Um, It was
1: a delight, Brad. Good to talk to you, mate.
0: Uh, Always a pleasure, man. We should do this more often. In fact, we have had a, a hangout paint session. We should do that again soon. Maybe get the Mouth of Madness on, too, and we'll paint some ships. Yes. (laughs)
1: Yes. <laughs> that would be great. Yeah. All right, man. Well, good speaking to you.
0: All right. Well, before you go, Dave, uh, guys, thank you very much for listening. Uh, as always it has, uh, man, it's been a wild ride a hundred episodes, right? Um, now I'm not going to say that I've, I think every episode of cast ice has been amazing, but, uh, we always do try our best here. So thank you very much for those of, to the episodes you have listened to. I have to say, I have to thank you guys again. I've gotten a lot of, New comments from new people, new feedback about show about the show about how people have enjoyed the show or suggestions for future podcast topics. Recently, guys, thank you. I I am blown away that so many of you are listening, and I'm blown away that you uh, are enjoying where the show is going and uh, you want to hear more about what's going on with Cast Ice. So thank you very much. If you do have comments or questions or you would like to talk to me about anything, uh, you can go to Facebook and search up Cast Dice, C-A-S-T-D-I-C-E. I Uh, I am the only one that answers that Facebook page, the Cast Dice Podcast. My name's Brad. Hi. Uh, I will be the guy who responds and guaranteed response. Although there was a weird one this week, and I think it was spam, and it wasn't English. So sorry if that was you, Um, but no, I'm not your mother. Anyway... On that note, uh, ladies and gentlemen, when you are playing the games that we know and love, I hope that your dice are hot. I hope your beverages are cold. But more than that, we at Cast Dice hope that you had fun. Ladies and gentlemen, until the next 100 episodes, good night.